Hello, and welcome to Miss D's Lunacy. Hello, Miss D. Hi, my guest today is a true visionary as an artist, sculptor, and ceramicist. She has been painting since she was seven and has perfect academic, credible degrees here in London. Her hands are her eyes, and with catastrophic circumstances, has managed to carry on with joy and gaiety and incredible courage. Please meet Georgie Donnelly. Hello again. <laughs> so glad for you to be here. Your story of your life is fascinating, but I first want everybody to listen also to that they have to be on georgiedonnelly.com to see all of her artwork and ceramics because we will be talking about it during the show. So her name is spelled G-E-O-R-G-I-E-D-O-N-E-L-L-Y.com. And you will be so interested in what she has to say. Now, you grew up in South Africa. Yes, I did. I, I was born there, born in Johannesburg. So tell me. <laughs> what brought me to Europe? What brought me everywhere okay, your else? Your parents were living over there. Yes. Uh, and my father was very, he was a Europhile. And so was my mother, really. And though they were both English. And uh, I think in... My mother's mind, certainly, going to school and all that was all very well. But really what she wanted me to do was to go to the Sorbonne to be finished. Because in her mind, daughters had to be finished in France. I know. But did they speak English to you? Oh, absolutely. In Africa. So you learned both languages at the same time. Well, you had to speak Afrikaans. You had to learn it at school. You didn't have to speak it. Right, right. But it was very politically sensitive. And you learned everything bilingually. So Afrikaans and English. And it was a big statement not to speak it. And quite frankly, it was just easier to speak it because we had to do all the exams and pass, you know, and get into schools and universities. And But we also spoke uh, Zulu at home, so that was very, very good. I never even <laughs> thought that language existed. <laughs> oh, my goodness, it does. It's got a huge literature and it's got a huge amount of people who speak it in, in Africa, Southern Africa. So at seven, where did you go? Well, I went to a marvellous studio to paint with an extraordinary-looking woman who used to walk around with a great big jewel on her head. <laughs> Nina Campbell Quine, her name was, I'll never forget. And she'd wear flowing robes, totally impractical for, for painting, but anyway, so inspiring. We all were absolutely mesmerised. And she put a great big piece of paper in front of me and gave me pencils, paints, all sorts of things. And she said, look, I want to see what you can do. And just fill this paper. And so, of course, you. the first thing I did was a minute little butterfly. She said, no, I said, fill the paper. And so by the end of the day, I walked home with the most enormous butterfly, you know, sort of about three feet by two feet. I'd never seen anything so big, and it was so exciting. And it just all took off from there. She introduced me into the world of colour. She was your mentor. She was my mentor in a way. And I had no idea that that's what was happening. And where was she at the time? She was in Johannesburg. In Johannesburg? Yes. So you did this for many years. I did. I did. I painted with her for several years. And then, of course, I went to boarding school. In England? In, no, in South Africa. And, oh, my But in a very English boarding school called Rodine, uh, which is famous girls' boarding school. And painting was considered sort of... One of those things one did, but only a few people excelled at, which was quite funny. So uh, there I was painting and playing the piano and we sang and we did everything, but it was also very academic. And so we had a very well-rounded education. 
Which uh, is what brought you to the Sorbonne, I suppose, because of such good grades. Absolutely. I finished my a degree in at the University of Witwatersrand in Johannesburg in Italian and in classics, classical life and thought it was called. And had taken French and Russian and German at the same time. Wow. So I had those. Unfortunately, Russian was so darn difficult. <laughs> it's just impossible. And I never really, really succeeded in that. And, of course, speaking all the other languages for all these years, I've sort of forgotten Russian. Such a pity because it's a wonderful language. When it's, and, in fact, any language is beautiful when it's well-spoken. Now, you told me the story that the school and the Sorbonne did not consider... What school did not consider Italian a language? Well, it was Port Dauphine. It was called ESIT, École Supérieure d'Interprète et Traducteur, which was the simultaneous and translating school, basically, and interpretation. So you would go from there, really, and work for the United Nations or something like that, where they would have the need for simultaneous translation. And though I had all the grades and in theory, could walk straight in. When I got there, there were 400 people wanting to walk into the 40 places. And I'm afraid being a young white South African was what stopped me from getting in. So I wrote all the exams and did all the orals and did everything that I needed to do. We got to let in the people from the EU, which was the common market in those days, in the 70s, late 70s, but we don't have to let you in. But uh, and mm. I'm afraid that's what happened. So you went to Vienna. Well, I went to Vienna because in the meantime, before I wrote all the exams, I had marched in saying, "Okay, I've got English, French, and German, and this uh, and Italian as my third language." I said, "Quoi?" You know, that, <laughs> and sort of looked at me as if I was bats. And I said, "Well, what?" And they said, "Well, what's your fourth language?" So I said, "Well, it's German." They said, "Well, no, we don't consider Italian to be." a proper language. That cannot be your third language, but it can be your fourth. So I had to think, oh my heavens. So I rushed off to Vienna and went to the Hochschule there and did a very intensive course for several months and came back, wrote the exams and it was fine. But I was rather upset that they didn't consider Italian a language (laughs) suitable for them to be teaching me. (laughs) Now you did something extraordinary in Vienna, you were a movie double, I believe. Well, that was actually in Johannesburg. In Johannesburg, yes, while this is a fantastic story. While I was at university, I, to earn extra money, I, you know, we'd work during the university holidays and get movie business was was brilliant because you got very well paid for doing pretty much nothing. Because to do two or three seconds of real movie, you sat around all day doing the, you know, the filming. I was a body double for a French woman in the Heart of Darkness that they were making in South Africa. Because even though it was from other parts of Africa, they were just too difficult to film in, too dangerous, too hot, too sweaty, too much disease. So South Africa was the perfect place to come, and they could dress scenes up there. So then you learned in Vienna this waltz. That's backwards? <laughs> well, it sounds backwards. It's what they call the linker waltzer. And that literally means waltzing on the left. Because normal waltzing, you waltz on the right. And you zoom around waltzing on the right. And that's really quite easy once you get the whole, you know, the hang of it. The one, two, three, one, two, three. Well, linker waltzer, you've got to go the other way around. And you've got to be pretty skilled to do it. Otherwise, you're standing on everyone's feet and you ruin the whole, the whole dance in the Viennese balls and 
You just need to know it. Uh, it was very exciting. And I was that was my first radio interview, in fact. They came to the Elmar Tanzschule, which is a very famous dance school right opposite the Hofburg and the Spanish riding school right, right around there. And every good Viennese child goes to the Elmaya Tanzschule. And that's where we were, doing this, uh, doing this left, left waltzing. And it was hugely amusing. And they said, what on earth is a South African coming to Vienna to learn how to dance on the left? And that was my first interview. And it was in German, so it was pretty exciting stuff. And you did radio reportage for many years. Yes, well, I worked for South African Broadcasting Corporation, and that was quite a bit later, And when I first came to England. And I did their monthly broadcast from, for the women's program from London. So it was a letter from London. And my brief was to, to really do the frivolity and the arts and culture and all that. Not that culture is uh, frivolous, of course, but anyway, made it fun. There were lots of serious journalists doing economics and politics and being dreadfully serious. And I was very lucky I didn't have to be. And I did that for the Women's Program, which was a daily program modeled on the one in England called Women's Hour. And it was fantastic. It was absolutely fascinating. It was a very good discipline, nerve wracking, getting it out every month. And I had an enormous post bag, actually, of people who listened. And it was 60-40, 60 who loved me and 40% who absolutely wanted to shoot me in the kneecaps every time I opened my mouth for some reason or another. They always found a great reason. <laughs> well, I hope you have tapes of all of these. I do, yes. And in fact, my dear late husband, Peter, actually published them all in two little books with wonderful oh. drawings and watercolors, and they were, they were beautiful. I think your husband gave them to me. Yeah. Your late husband gave them to me. He might well have, yes. The wonderful sketches. Yes, excellent sketches. He didn't do them. He found somebody who did that kind of reportage drawing. And, that was uh, such fun. Yeah, great fun, great fun. So now let's go to your... First of all, you've had so many shows all over London and all over many places. After Vienna, I think you live in New York. Yes. Well, I moved to London briefly because I must get a better job because after Vienna, where I was selling French baby shoes to Austrians with big fat feet, which couldn't fit even their big toes into these tiny baby baby bot shoes, I thought, really, I must come to England. It's my last chance to get a job. Otherwise, I had to go back to South Africa. And I thought, well, I wasn't quite ready for it. So I came here. And then went to New York to be with my then boyfriend, who then became my husband. And so we were there for four years. It was just an enormously fun part of my life, I have to say. Did you paint there as well? I did. I started at the 92nd Street Y. Wow. I used to go there, and it was fantastic. I mean, you could do whatever you liked. And they were just very inspirational. You know, they've launched so many wonderful musicians It sort of was the 92nd Street Y, and then it was the Carnegie Hall, and then it was the world. And so I was hoping for the same little <laughs> lift in my art. And I must say, it was fantastic. And had I lived in New York longer, I would have really, that was my big studio, because the apartments aren't really big enough to be, you know, making a great big mess. And I also was working full time, and I had a catering business that I opened in New York to teach people how to make canapé à la française and to have proper proper cocktail à la française as well, because I'd lived in Paris for three years and 
had taken note, in fact, had earned my living by running a barge, two barges, it turned out, on the rivers of France, did 6,000 kilometers cooking on these barges and sightseeing with people. They were mostly Americans, few Mexicans, and Americans who'd sort of traveled all over the world and wanted something different. And they would charter these very luxury barges. So I look at them now, that, that was luxury in the 70s. You wouldn't even put your foot in them now and <laughs> in, you know, in the noughties. Les bateaux mouches. Bate non, pas, de, pas les bateaux mouches, les péniches. Les péniches. Oui. That's exactly what they're called. Yeah, péniche. And, and the, cousins of mine bought one. Oh, they're wonderful. And they've got all sorts of wacky things and dogs and cats and birds. And yes. They even own a pig and the pig's very sweet. And I don't know. Uh, and yeah. they live on this thing and they rent their slot. Yeah. And it's they love it. Well, it's, it's huge I don't fun. think it goes anywhere. Well, you don't have to. You sometimes have to move uh, from K to K or between the bridges. But it depends on the height of the river. So you can be stuck for months if there's a bad, a bad um, spring and too much rain. You can you just get stuck there and you how just the wiggle around on the wind river for months and months. But how do they lock these things up? Well, you just sort of do. And if you've got dogs, you know, well, you have to take them with you. Well, you sort of stick them on the on the. And they are guard dogs, and they they tie each other. They tie the boats to each other. So there's always two or three in a row, and it's oh, great fun. That's great fun. Yeah, and I went all the way up to Frankfurt with it for the book fair, the Buchmesse in um, I think it's October it was, and I'd done my six six or eight months on those boats. Boy, I had them up to my back teeth. I couldn't set foot on another one for quite a long time. But my goodness, look at all the things you've done. And you were, what, 20-something years old? I was, I was 20, 21 when I was Yeah, I mean, that's incredible with catering and painting and all of this is what we're going to get through right now. So you just had this absolutely fabulous show at the Royal Opera Arcade. Yes, in La Galleria. In La Galleria in Paul Mall. It was so beautiful. Oh, thank you. And I wanted to talk a little bit also about how these ceramics are made, because your talent in ceramics is so unusual. I know you use a kiln and you get filthy. But aside <laughs> from that, you have such a great explanation for how you make these incredible objects. Well, I love clay. I think, first of all, you've got to really like what you're working with. So whatever I'm working with, whether it's food or oil paints or paper or clay, I'm enjoying it. And I think that's that's rule number one. And I have various ways of working with it. If I'm going to make a great big platter or something like that, I'll get a blob of, play, of clay and I'll put it in between big pieces of plastic and jump on it until it's and walk all over it until it's flattened. And I, that's how you make chapati, uh, which is an Indian flatbread great big Indian flatbread and I thought so I call those my big chapati bowls or my chapati plates and then to make the big sculptures I roll the clay and make sausages basically clay sausages you call my them Lord. and that's how I do it and I use I, so I hand build everything with these coils uh, coils is probably a little bit more technical than sausage but that's basically what they are and I and you just have to use your hands. Your hands are just so important. That's why I say my my help in life are my ten fingers. And when I can't use them, I'm I'm rather bereft because you need that. All my pieces are very tactile, so you need to be able to smooth them and to also when they've got a fantastic surface like that, they take glaze in a very different way. 
when they're rough, the glaze is, is going to be rough. And you use different kinds of glazes. And of course, but when they're very smooth and I build things with sort of, so for instance, I did a great big pepper, which you can see on my website. And that was really building four pots at the same time. Wow. So they were all interwoven. So each portion of the pepper, and you get these wonderful things in nature, you know, not, not the ones that you find in the supermarket, it's the ones you find at the farmer's markets and things like that, where, which aren't, are too misshapen to sell as a, a supermarket pepper or whatever vegetable it is. And they've just got wonderful bits and nooks and crannies. And then when you put them in the kiln... Yeah, they could burst. You've got to be so careful. That's why I build them like pots rather than solid things. Because if it's too solid, then they will explode. They will crack. And I, it's nothing more depressing than opening up a kiln and you, all you see is a lot of horrible little crumbs of, clay, of dried art clay. Where did you learn to do ceramics? Well, mostly self-taught. I started off at Chelsea Art School and they thought I was just a woman filling in the mornings. And I just thought, well just watch this space and they never taught me anything I had to watch literally look and see what people were doing and it taught me a few things and then I moved on to places that actually did want to teach you and so you know you learn and each teacher you go to or each person uh, tutor gives you something else and you have to also learn from everybody you know what they're doing and what they're not doing you do learn by just being and making things with people and that's what's so interesting about being in schools rather than just working on your own. And I think painting the same thing, not schools necessarily, but, you know, classes and, and, and groups. It's really And important. where do you find these studios with oh, kilns? and Getting more and more difficult. Of I mean, course really I difficult. They just close them down because they view them as sort of therapy for, <laughs> for nutcases. <laughs> now, the asparagus that you did was absolutely beautiful. We're going to put that up on my website. Oh, the big artichoke. Oh, the artichoke. Yes. Oh. Yeah. God. yeah, And it was so shiny and bright. It was beautiful. And then you had another one, a huge one. That was the big, big green pepper, which was had a mixture of green and amber and all sorts of different glazes and underpainting. So that's why it was so interesting in color. And the other two, there was a red pepper and there was an orange pepper, which also had a lot of different yes. glazing on it. And I use a lot of oxides too, which create wonderful different different effects because it depends where also where your piece is in relation to the heat source in the kiln and so that you might have the same green glaze all over a piece 360 degrees but the bit that was nearer the the heat will be a different color so you might use copper carbonate as an oxide and it'll either come out the green of those wonderful onion domes in Bavaria and Austria or it'll come out a completely different colour. It might be sort of dark green or it might be almost black. It might be a brownish green. So it's all fascinating stuff. And I used to get depressed by the fact that I thought I'd put in a yellow plate or something or a yellow vase. And out came something completely different. And now I just I just love whatever comes out. That's art. That's art. And, and, and you can't control the temperature of no, the kiln. No, but you can't. that's can, what but I think not, is so joyous is to go, what's it look like? Yeah. And as, as you open the door and, you, and you're not allowed to touch it because it's still hot and you've got to let it slow down. It's very slowly warm or cool down, basically. Otherwise, everything will just break. It's so fragile. It's so fragile. And then you've got to put it in again, you know, because you, you cook it, put it in once. So you cook it to biscuit 
and then you fire it again with the glazes and maybe two or three times with the different glazes, so amazing. at different temperatures. So It's absolutely amazing. So this show was a was private views were on Wednesday and Thursday. Unfortunately, people from America were not able to see it. <laughs> but I was so fascinated because you said that you spent 18 months traveling all over the world and doing these wonderful sketches and then painting back. Yes. And so I want to hear some of the places that you went. You went to Singapore. Went to Singapore, then went to Singapore Thailand. Was wonderful. You did this beautiful water sunset on the water in Scotland, yes? Yes, I went up to Scotland in last August, which is a great time in Scotland. Very beautiful. And you can understand when you go there why the Scottish colorist's palette is so absolutely vibrant and marvelous. Because you go there and it might have been raining for 10 hours and suddenly the sun will come out. And the color is just so extraordinary that you can't believe that you're in the same place. And the sun sets, and this was at 10 o'clock at night, that painting, it was extraordinary. You just have to get your paints out and you have to just do something. And it's really exciting. And you've got to paint really quickly if you're painting from life, either in the mornings, you know, so it's sunrise, sunset, because the light is changing all the time. In fact, it changes all day. It was it was an amazing picture to to be able to paint. And you're inspired by water, aren't you? I love water. Yeah. Well, I'm a Pisces, so I love the fish. And you did this beautiful koi fish. I think it were they weren't in a pond, right? Well, funny enough, some I I saw a lot of koi in ponds. And then I, I also I went to a lot of aquariums. And I go to the fish markets too, just to go and see the shapes of these fish because the colors are so marvelous and they're, they're remarkable, be you know, beasts, beings. And But the trouble is in the fish market, they're dead. So that's a little bit less interesting. So looking at them in ponds and watching the fishermen bring them out of the sea, you know, and out of, out of the boats, that's pretty exciting. So for instance, in Cape Town, you'd go to Hart Bay and watch all the, the fishermen coming back with their great big hauls of sardines. And in, in the Oman, I did that too. And one of those paintings was much appreciated. Very early in the morning, the chaps go out and then they come back sort of halfway, late late afternoon. And the one I did was in the fog, sort of the early morning sea fog. The sun hadn't burnt it off yet. And it was it was marvellous because they the Omanis just go out, I suppose all the people in that area, they go out in their long robes, totally impractical for fishing, but they seem to cope. Endless, wonderful fish come out of the sea. Well, it's great. It's semi-abstract. It's, I think somebody compared some of your work. Was it Kandinsky? Kandinsky, probably for the color palettes. Yes, for the color palettes, which is so mm. extraordinary about your blues. It, it, they're so special. It's just recently you use so much rollers. You capture so many things. You use your fingers, you use brushes, you use... It's unbelievable, but what I think is so important is it, you let the the viewer visualize it for themselves. Leave them guessing, and that's how it works, well, I think. Well, I hope so. And I want them to look at it every time, every painting they buy of me, and or look at of mine, I want them to look at them and find something new each time. And that's, I think, if it's all absolutely photographic reality, you know reality, which I can't do. I'm not interested in it. I might as well take a photograph. So painting, I think you need to let the imagination work. And that's one of the reasons I love radio, because you use your brain when you are listening to the radio. You create the pictures for yourself, whereas the television creates the picture for you, and you just sit there like an old potato 
and <laughs> and you just you don't have to think and i think that's really sad it's yeah. true well okay so now we're thailand you did when did you we in 18 to, months i want everybody to know yeah well thailand cambodia cambodia was wonderful did the monks in cambodia did several of them and again the colors just fabulous it is. I'm, I just, you know, the color of the silk, the color of the cottons and those saffron colors and the blues in the, it's just sort of unreal in a way. And that's, I love those sort of things. Morocco. Morocco, loved, loved Morocco. I took my boys there after Peter had died and we had the most blissful time. We went in a, a balloon, watched the rising of the sun over the Atlas ah, Mountains. I won't do that, scares me, have to do Oh no, it was marvelous. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And it was in... There was snow on the mountains. It was in December. And then the Medina was just so fantastic. And I did a very fabulous, one of my favorite paintings, actually, is of the Medina in Marrakesh. And sitting up on the first floor of the Café Central. And it was just wonderful being there. And then sitting in the Urika Valley at the T-junction of the Urika Valley, which goes up into the Atlas Mountains. And you get these blue, blue skies at that time of the year, and the white snow on the mountains, and then down below in the valleys, you still got the yellow autumn colours of the trees, of the so poplar trees. Yeah. spectrum. Total spectrum. And, you know, and the camels walking up, and the chaps in their little white hats, and their white, immaculate white, long jellabas, and just marvellous. And, and the food I don't is know so why the women wear the black and men wear the white. I don't think that's fair. Do you know, I think it's really unfair too. <laughs> because it's so hot. It's so hot. It's and terrible. so the men are walking around very <laughs> cool and cash and the women are covered <laughs> from head to toe in black and boiling together. I mean, but really. you have to see what's underneath those black things. Oh, God. Very bright. Very bright. And well, when they're you wealthy, them anyway. very expensive. Okay, and you went to Kenya. Yes. Uh, my the Masamara. Son, my, my son was working there for for six months in Uganda and Kenya and went to the Maasai Mara and Nairobi. And it's wonderful. You know, Africa gets under your skin, unlike any other country in the world or any other continent. It's completely different. And, I've been. Yeah, and the smells. And again, the colors. You know, Africans are colorful people. And I'm sure that I have that ingrained in my soul from birth. You know, and I think that's why I need to... I think you do. Well, I need to, to translate color onto canvas. But you were born there. That makes yeah, a big difference. It does make a big difference. It's sort of in your soul. It is, yeah. So you also painted in Hong Kong? Hong Kong, yes. My goodness, what did you paint there? Well, I painted the reflections of Hong Kong Island. So Hong Kong itself, the, the, the town, gosh, it's such an extraordinary place. Looking back from the Kowloon Ferry... So as I was going across, I went, made several trips and, and it was in the evening. So you get the reflections of these extraordinary uh, neon lights that go all over the, the waters and that's the colors true, are fabulous. And so the water is moving with these lights all the time because there's twinkling. a lot of shipping. Twinkling, twinkling with twinkling, different color twinkling. lights. And the blues are there and these incredible long, tall, thin skyscrapers that you can't imagine are holding themselves up and all those people and they're all so nice and calm and wonderful organized i'm in love with your green pepper <laughs> <laughs> i don't mean to, to break it but it is absolutely the most gorgeous thing i've ever seen <laughs> so how long were you in hong kong for well i was only there for six days uh, this time i've been before and um, 
on a on a trip to South Korea. We stopped for a week in Hong Kong, and uh, we went we went round in South Korea. We went round the kilns. They have these wonderful dragon kilns, and the museums, and to see how they would uh, repair ceramics, and they're beautiful, beautiful porcelain pieces. Because when I lived in Paris and was not able to complete at the Sorbonne and had done the Institut Catholique and all the alliances and the Institut Goethe and all those in Paris, I did an apprenticeship with a porcelain restorer. And she and I then went out to Korea to create a collection, to buy a collection of, of uh, ceramics to come and sell at Christie's, Sotheby's, Phillips. Fantastic. And it was fantastic. And so we went around, and the way they restore pieces is just so extraordinarily respectful. And they don't hide the restoration, which they do in Europe. They fill them with gold if they're very precious pieces, or silver if they're not quite as precious. Or they, look, if it's, if it's just a beautiful piece, but not wildly, wildly expensive, they will, they will compare. It's a forgotten art, It's really. a completely forgotten art. And so that's what we did in France. And it was fantastic. The, the dealers used to just buy great big dinner services from all over Europe, wonderful things, perhaps, you know, two or three hundred pieces in these dinner services, and there might mm. be 50 good pieces, and they'd say, oh, well, Georgie and Susie can <laughs> fix the rest. And uh, because... <laughs> All of the porcelain restorers in Paris at the time either worked for the Sèvres Museum or there were a few who had sort of retired from there and did it on their own, but they were all in their 80s and 90s. Well, we were in our 20s and we worked fast because we used to restore something to pay the rent, store something else to pay for dinner, you know, and I'll, I'll uh, travel. We were working. And, and we worked. We, we did, did, but we were that. very analytical about it because we were playing very hard as well, you know. Uh, but that's in those days you could do that. In those days you did. And you could have a, a nuit blanche, uh, you know, good. Oh, and go to work the no next sleep, day. No sleep, you know, and go to work the next day. Oh, I was working all the time and oh, we yeah. had so much fun, so much fun. So much fun. Now, why did you call it Carpe Diem, your show, which I think is beautiful? Well, Carpe Diem in Latin is seize the day. I know. And I have to say that I've had cancer three times. Oh. I've watched my husband die a really miserable death of uh, leukemia. And you've got to seize the day. I've been given this chance again, a third time, which is quite extraordinary. And you've just got to do it. You know? your, your bravery and your absolute will is extraordinary to me. Well, yeah, sometimes I... I think I must be absolutely mad. And my children think I must be mad too. Well, they know I'm mad. I don't so think that's you're one mad at all. I don't <laughs> think you're mad at all. But, you know, you have to wake up every morning and seize the day. And I, that's the only way to get through the day responsibly. Because you've got to be responsible to yourself and to everybody else, I think, in life. And you might as well do it with a, with a good attitude. Because attitude is what gets you through or what kills your day. I understand. You know? I agree with you. Now, the, you also painted the Isle of Wight. Yes, well, I had a house there for 20 years on the sea. Oh, my goodness gracious. And so that was another thing. You know, I lived with water there the whole time. And it, it was so extraordinary to go there. My, my front garden was enormous in that I had half an acre of garden. And then I had the English Channel. And that was my oh water my, garden. Oh, my God. 
And so, so you painted there a lot. Yes, yes. And looking out from, I could lie in bed and just watch the sun rising and watch the great big ships waiting to go into Southampton or Portsmouth, and they would be out on the sandbanks a couple of miles out, maybe right. five, six, seven miles out. I mean, it was all there for you to grab onto. Not everybody, yeah. you know, would like to do that. Then mm. you went to Martinique. Um, we sailed around Martinique, yes. And oh, uh, in, yeah, that was lovely. Yes. And then you do these canvases, and I love the Cambodia one. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Then you did, went to Jaipur. Yeah, been to Jaipur. I've done Rajasthan quite well, and it was fantastic. And it was, There it's so colourful as oh, well. Yeah. And the silk again, the sheen oh, of the, the silk colors and the gold. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Now, tell me the story about the leopard, because that is wonderful. <laughs> well, I was on safari earlier this year in South Africa and gone to Medique. And during the, at midday, sort of, oh, you, you just don't do anything because it's too hot. Even okay. the animals all retire. They've done their morning feed and, and they'll go out later when it cools down, perhaps get some water or something. And in the middle of the day, you go and you have a rest because you get up at five to go and do the morning drives and uh, game drives. And by that time, you're pretty wiped out. A couple of beers and a nice lunch. And I just, for some reason, I just couldn't sleep much. And I would sit and paint. And we'd seen the most wonderful leopard. We'd seen a pair of cheetahs, and we just couldn't find leopards anywhere. And we drove and drove and drove night after night because they're, they're nocturnals. And we were just waiting. And then the night before we were leaving, this female leopard came and drank at our waterhole in front. I mean, she was probably 30 feet away maximum. Wow. If that. And Incredible. I just had to paint her. Had to paint her the next day. So I was sitting there on the table because you never know what's going to crawl past your feet. So I, I prefer to sit on the table rather than on a chair <laughs> if I'm going to be sitting there for some time. So I was sitting there with my paints and my can little canvases because you can't take big ones when you're traveling. And I was painting away and suddenly somebody rushed over and said, oh, my God, oh, my God. There's, there's a thing coming. And I said, well, is it a snake? Because that's the one thing I loathe. I'm absolutely paranoid about snakes. And she's, you know, hyperventilate, <laughs> hysteria. I said, well, what, you know, she said, it's, it's got a foot. I said, well, then it's not a snake. Anyway, the biggest monitor lizard, which was over a yard long, crawled up wow, very hallelujah. carefully with its, because it's got four fantastic hands, really. It's like a giant, it's like a giant um, chameleon. You know, incredible fingers and great big nails, Cruella de Vil nails, and very beautiful sort of turquoise-coloured skin. And, I mean, amazing beasts. And this was her daily home. She liked to come and rest here at midday. Unbelievable. And she lived up in the rafters, which had been made from the local trees and the pillars, and she crawled up one, gave me a look, because she, she knew I was there, gave me a look, because I just was sitting on the table thinking, well, she's okay. A snake would climb up the table leg and come and have a look, and in which case I wouldn't be there. <laughs> but I don't understand how the other animal... The monitor lizard. It's no, the cheetah or whatever. Oh, the cheetah. Oh, the, the, the leopard. Well, the leopard didn't move. By that time, by that time, she'd well gone. But um, I kept her, her face in my head. I'd seen the cheetahs, and I keep... I paint from my head. I paint from my memories. 
rather than taking photographs, because I think a photograph gives you too much information and you just, you just, you, you get confused. And I think they stilted a painting from a photograph, whereas a painting that you have Well, people from mix your memory, photos and, yeah. and paint at the same time. Yes. Which is and, actually an interesting medium. Yeah, yeah, that is good. That is good. And I have done it and, I, and some of them have been successful, but I prefer to paint what I call my half-forgotten memories. Oh, and um, so sometimes I might have a picture and it'll, it'll, you know, a photograph and it'll go whiz in my brain and think, oh, that was it. And I'll put it away. And look, if I need it for the geometrics, you know, the geometry of the painting, I will, I will look it up. But normally you don't. And I, my best paintings are, are straight from my head. It's extraordinary. And so the, the, the dear little leopard was there. And I, well, she wasn't there, but I was painting her. Yeah. And this amazing beast was watching me and just checking out where she was going to spend the rest of the day. And it was marvellous. It would have scared a lot of people. Well, well it obviously scared the lady. <laughs> no, I mean, nearly, I mean, we all nearly died when, when she first saw it coming. Because you thought it was a snake, silly yeah. woman. <laughs> oh, well, we're all hysterical, I tell you. And then Mozambique's fantastic. Yeah. Again, colourful places. Yeah. Very, very blues and wonderful well, colours. Well, because of the, the coral reefs, yes. But also, it's a place that I knew from my childhood. We used That's to go there. Right. And we used to go and eat gigantic Mozambique prawns, which were, oh, wow. they are about a foot long. They were just extraordinary. Oh, good heavens. They were the most beautiful, delicious things. And the Russians came in the 75 when they had, oh, they got independence from Portugal. The Russians moved in big time, just scraped the place clean. But what? you can still get small ones now. They sort of started coming back. So once they, there was nothing else to fish, the Russians lost interest and went, took all the good things and just left this place in a shambles. And it is pretty much a shambles now. But the colour is still there and it's a wonderful well, place to go forte, to. this is your forte, the deep blue sea, the waters and everything else. So I saw people running amok with their... Half your painting's gone, half your ceramics. I love the chicken, <laughs> yes. the chicken and the other one, yeah. which was great. And look at your beautiful fish frenzy. Yes. I mean, your That's fish so. are divine. Your fish are divine. Well, I love the movement and the energy that that fish have. You know, and when they're in a pond or when they're around, when they come to see you en masse, it's normally for food or something like that. But they just, there's so much movement and you can't That's help. It's hard to capture. Yeah, well. I hope I've done it justice. I think you've done an amazing job. Thank you. Especially through the light, through your fingers, through paint rollers, images, as you call them, half-remembered places. But it's also, it's, it's the layers. I, when I'm painting, in, which I mostly do in oils, I paint in oil glazes, so I never put thick paint on. Good. And it takes a long time to do that, but that's how you get the translucency and, the, and you get the... The effect of light through water is by doing it that way. But it takes you know? a long time for oil to dry. Yes, well, especially in the winter. It nearly went berserk. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, how long does it take to dry? Well... Anywhere from... You know, if you're in a dry... So if you're painting in Arizona, it's oh, yeah, wonderful. It's, <laughs> it dries yeah, immediately. It dries on your brush. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You'd paint in, in Florida in, in July. You're absolutely cursing the whole lot. And in London, in... February, it was pretty darn damp and wet and cold. So, but at this time of the year, July, it's lovely. June, you know, it's quite quick. 
And and if you paint thin, yeah, then you, then it's it, it it is quicker. So great big globules of paint, uh, impasto they call it. I don't do that very often. I love everything you do. I, I, it's just terrific. Thank you. So give me an adventure that you had in one of these wonderful places, besides the leopard and the all of that. Well, we went uh, in Cambodia. We went. We were in Siem Reap, which is where Angkor Wat is. And on Christmas Day, I went there. Yes, it's a wonderful place. Well, you have to get up at five, also. Yeah, and on Christmas Day, we because they had never had Christmas before. Ooh. In this brand new little hotel, which was wonderful, it had we had our own little sort of bungalows, really, and fantastic swimming pool in Siem Reap. It was really beautiful, and they did a marvelous sort of Christmas Eve dinner, and it was just hilarious. And the next day, we said we would cook our own lunch. We'd cook Christmas lunch for for the family because there were five of us there, and so the chef took us off to the morning, the early morning market in Siem Reap, the food market. And it was just absolutely splendid because everything was cool and it was fresh and quite dark when we first set out. And there were little ladies selling sort of uh, badly plucked chickens with their feet hanging out and all I, sorts of things. Well, I painted, I painted one of them and she was just so thrilled. It was just, she was sort of, it was touching actually. And then having crab sandwiches and all, you know, sort of so their So you found their an entire meal at the Marche. Yeah, we found, and absolutely incredible. And the just the colours of the vegetables and the fruit and the freshness of it and the watercress. Oh, you just want to eat the whole lot. And of course you can't because it's just too much. But And it's too hot. But then we cooked our meal outside in the garden and it was fantastic. How? Well... They had little, it was like doing a picnic meal, but they had very clever little uh, gas burners. And that's what we did. Because they don't really bake. They don't, they're not baking. No. Uh, you know, their food isn't a baking culture and everything is incredibly fresh. One of the reasons being you can't keep it, you know, unless you've got big fridges and everything. And even then, it's never as good as when you've just brought it back from the market. I mean, we had one of the best meals we've ever had in our lives. Oh, how charming. You know, and and we, you know, so it's all photographed and uh, that was great fun. So that was a, that was a wonderful thing. And well, then, at least oh, the family was together. Yeah, absolutely. When, and he passed away how many years after? Well, no, actually Peter wasn't with us. No, oh, Peter wasn't with us. No, he'd, he'd already been, he'd already Poor gone. Thing. I loved him so much. Oh, no, he was an amazing And I had man. the joy of seeing him and his brother. Yeah. It was quite fantastic. So, Georgie Donnelly. Yes. The imagination, the visionary, the powerful, magnetic, seize the day woman. What more can I say except <laughs> congratulations? Well, thank you very much. I, uh, your, your, your energy is so powerful. It's catching. <laughs> it's wonderful. And you're so courageous because you do everything by yourself. And you order bits about, you even play the piano <laughs> on top of everything else you can do. So, are you sailing too? <laughs> <laughs> sailing, no, no. I, I, I get sailed when I'm, when I'm. Uh, so, what are your next projects? Well, my next project is to have another ceramics exhibition. I've got another 40 or so pieces that uh, are worthwhile exhibiting. And I've got to find another ceramic school because it's just impossible finding big enough kilns because I like to work big. And I will continue painting 
because a I've it doesn't got, hurt your hands as much no, the painting. No, it, I've got the bug now, and you have to work towards goals. So I I will continue painting to, towards my next. Well, next you've mission. had so many shows, mm. my heavens! I mean, and every gallery known to mankind has been a <laughs> show, wish. which is wonderful. <laughs> I mean, you're you're everybody must be having in their apartment. A painting by you. I hope so. I wish. What I'd really like to do is actually bring a show to Palm Beach United, or something like yes, that. Yes, definitely. Because yeah. my colours are definitely so. Florida. Yeah, well, they're Florida. They're, they're, Americans like upbeat colour. I agree. The English are a bit drab about their colour, quite frankly. They're a bit scared, a bit nervous. And so I'm a bit overwhelming sometimes. Yes. But Americans just, that's what they expect. And especially in their beach houses and, you know, down. Everything's quite colourful. Yeah, and it's wonderful. Well, I try to get you, my friend Maribel Alvarez from Ultima, who can find a gallery that could have your your things. It would be, be wonderful. Yeah, it'd be amazing. I'd love that. We could work on that. So please go to georgiedonnelly.com, G-E-O-R-G-I-E-D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y, and you will see some incredibly divine works of art and with a lot of soul and a lot of vision. I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to speak because I think you're so interesting and so kind. And I wish you all the best. We're going to keep in touch because you're going to come over and see me. And we're going to do something with you with your show. Well, Miss D, this has been such a pleasure and it's wonderful. It's a joy to listen to you. And, you know, I've known you for a long time and it's just wonderful and you're just always wonderful. Rediscovering old friends and rediscovering talent. It's lovely. What a joy. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, darling. And don't forget, lead us not into temptation. We can find it ourselves. God bless and have a great day. (laughs) 